This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. Let's get right into it. Uh, to begin with today, yesterday, of course, at Queen's Park, uh, the Premier made an announcement uh, with a series of uh, moves that are eventually going to reduce our hydro bills, we're told, by about 25% on average. And to uh, get some details on that, we are pleased to welcome to the Bill Kelly Show the Premier of the province of Ontario, Kathleen Wynne, joins us here on CHML. Premier, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us today. It's a pleasure, Bill. Let's Great uh, to be uh, back. Let's uh, let's uh, roll back a little bit and talk about what led up to the decision yesterday and, and, and how you decided to approach this problem. Well, Bill, you you know, because you've heard from your listeners and you talk to people in the community, you know that uh, people all over the province are really struggling with electricity bills. We've known this for some time. Um, we have, you know, we've worked to make some changes. And the the, the root cause of this bill is that we've, uh, we've had to make a lot of investments in the electricity system. Um, there had been neglect in the system. We've made, since we came into office, about $50 billion worth of investments, and that's to build new lines, to build more capacity at Niagara Falls, to, uh, to clean up the air, shutting down the coal-fired plants and building capacity. So we, we've upgraded the system, but there's a cost associated with that. And what has happened is, this generation of uh, consumers has basically been asked to pay for the whole cost of that or a large part of the cost of that. So they're paying for not only the neglect that came for the 30 or 40 years before, but also they're being asked to pay to pay for an asset that is going to last for another 30 years. So what we've said is, you know what, people right now need relief. That's what we've heard from families. That was what we've heard from individuals. They need substantial relief, and they need it to go to everyone um, because it's not just some people who are struggling. It's people all over the province. And so, as you said, we are going to, by summer, uh, put in place an on average, a 25% reduction on people's bills all over the province. And uh, there will be more than that for um, people who are living in more rural and remote communities because the thing they are um, they're disproportionately seeing is that their distribution charges are higher than people who live in, uh, in urban areas. And so we're going to deal with that as well. Some people are describing what you announced yesterday, though, Premier, as a short-term gain for long-term pain, because essentially what you're doing is simply stretching the payments out, which means that the interest payments are going to be higher on a lot of this stuff. How do you react to that? Well, you know, that's what a mortgage does, right? When we, when we put a mortgage on a, a property, on a house, um, we basically spread out the cost, and there's a premium attached to that. You do pay, you do pay more, and you pay for a bit longer, but it means that the payments are manageable, and that's what that's what this is about. The payments have not been manageable on the upgrades of these of this electricity system. Uh, people are not able to look after their families, pay their rent, pay their uh, their uh, their bills. Um, while these electricity bills are so high. And so it had gotten to the point where even with the 8% that we, uh, we took off people's bills as of January, it wasn't enough. We needed to do more, and that's, that's why we've put this plan in place. So that, that addresses what's going to happen on the bottom line on our bills. And, and, and I, well, everybody I, universally is, is pleased about that. But, but are you directing any energy, if you excuse the bad pun here, Premier, uh, towards what many people consider to be the root problem, that maybe we're generating too much power right now, and maybe we don't need to be doing that. Maybe there should be a moratorium on some of these contracts. Well, we've got we've got a long term energy plan um and it it gets revised um uh, every couple of years and it it 
looks at what the capacity is in the system and what we need to do going forward. What we have to be sure, Bill, is that we've got enough capacity for industry, for residences, um, to have reliable electricity. In 2003, when this came to a head, you can remember that there were, uh, there were brownouts and blackouts and the system really was degraded because there hadn't been investment for, uh, there hadn't been adequate investment for decades. And that's not a partisan comment, Bill, because it was Liberal governments, it was NDP government, it was Tory governments who didn't make those necessary investments. And so it came to a head. We had to make those investments. And we now are monitoring as we go along whether we need more capacity or less capacity. We want industry to come to the province. You know, we want to make sure that we don't end up in a situation where we actually have uh, industry coming and we don't have reliable uh, electricity capacity. Ontario is now leading economic growth in the country, Bill. So we're, you know, we're in a very strong position relative to the rest of the country and, quite frankly, relative to many of our, uh, many of our neighboring states. And so we need to make sure that we have all of the conditions in place for, uh, for strong investment here in the province. Part of that is having reliable electricity and making sure that it's affordable. But if we're selling off a lot of our excess for pennies on the dollar to some of our neighbors, doesn't that tell you that we're making too much already? But we're buying as well. I mean, what happens is we buy and sell across our borders. We have a, we have a couple of deals with Quebec that um, mean that, you know, we sell them some power, they sell us power, and on, on the whole, Ontario does very well with those, uh, those trades. But, but it's not as simple as just saying, oh, well, we've got enough power for every time of day, for every season, and uh, we can just not, not have those relationships. There is a, there is a mutual interdependence among um, states and, uh, and other provinces. And so we have to make sure that we live up to our part of that, uh, of that bargain and have the clean energy that we can then sell. But we also are buying power, as I say, from, uh, from Quebec. Have we overcommitted, though? I mean, that's that's the concern being raised, not just by the opposition parties. I mean, we, we you know expect to hear opposition from opposition parties, but yeah. but a number of energy critics are suggesting that the that maybe the province should at this point be reassessing their commitment to some of these contracts and and maybe canceling some of them before they start signing them. I know there's another series of, we're told in the news today, another series of contracts that are going to be due in the next few days. So those are those are much smaller contracts. We did cancel, um, we did suspend the large renewable project um, procurement. So we we have done exactly that, Bill. We've looked and said, you know what? Let's reconsider this as we develop the long-term ener- uh, energy plan. Maybe we don't need maybe we don't need that large-scale procurement. And the cost, you know, when you talk about the uh, it's the feed-in tariff. It's a fit program that uh, is going out in the next few days. Those are those are contracts that are much smaller, and they are are at a much lower cost than the original contracts. When it comes to ripping up contracts, and I know that that's something that the opposition says we should do, there actually are billions of dollars of penalties that would be involved in that. There are legal cases, and uh, that's not... I mean, we looked at it, Bill. I'll be honest. We looked at it because um, it, has a, it has a sort of appealing, simple ring to it. You know, just rip up those contracts and, uh, and save money. It actually is not possible to do without huge 
huge penalties and billions of dollars of costs. So, so we rejected that notion in, in favor of spreading out these costs over time and, and asking, you know, the next generation to uh, help to pay for assets that they are going to be using, they're going to be benefiting from. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. We are joined now by Patrick Brown, the uh, Ontario Progressive Conservative Party leader and, of course, opposition leader in the Ontario legislature. Patrick, great to have you back on the program. Thanks for the time today. Always a pleasure to be on your show. First and foremost, I guess, your reaction to the Premier's announcement from yesterday. It's a band-aid on a, a bullet hole. Uh, you know, this, this is a Premier that's created this hydro mess we're in. Uh, and I, I, I respect the fact that she said six times yesterday that they made mistakes and she was apologetic. But what I'm frustrated about in this plan is, one, we're going to be paying $1.4 billion a year just in interest to pay for her mistakes. And I'm glad that there's some relief coming. But what I, what I don't like is that the mistakes that caused this are going to continue. Here we are today, and the government's still signing more bad contracts. FIT5 proceeds to the next stage today. LRP1, which is a big, large renewable pr- procurement, is just going, it's going full steam ahead. So we have this massive surplus. We charge people for it in their global adjustment. We're giving it away to our competitors. Uh, and not only is Kathleen Wynne not willing to look at the 30 big mega bad contracts, but she's also she's also continuing to sign more, and so it's it's definition of insanity when you keep on making the same mistake. I, and, and there's a lot of people that share, I think, the frustrations that you're talking about right now, and, and the concern. And I, I don't think anybody's arguing about the fact that hey, rates are going to be lower. That's a good thing. But how we're getting there, obviously, is going to be a problem. But the obvious question, though, Patrick, is we've heard from Andrew Horvath the NDP plan, and it sounds like they just tore a few pages out of Howard Hampton's book, uh, Public Power, from a few, a few years ago. Uh, we've heard the, from the Premier's plan. What's the, cons- the Progressive Conservative plan? What's what's your approach? What's your strategy to try to deal with this problem? So in, in the near future, we're going to be releasing um, a detailed plan of uh, some of the fixes that, that we believe are out there. Um, in terms of the um, – I'll make sure I'm on your show that day when we launch our, uh, our, our, our hydro plan. Look uh, but I would, I would say the problem with the, with the Liberal and NDP plans is, is that they're just shell games. They're not looking at the structural problems. You know, generation is about 60% of the bill, and we're not – over 60%, and we're not – Having any, we're not dealing with 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 the generation problem, um, and so I I feel that the other two plans are shell games. The NDP is, you know, forcing shareholders to sell shares that have already been sold. That it, it includes getting Justin Trudeau to take the HST off uh, off hydro bills when he hasn't agreed to that. It's it, it's a wish list. It's unrealistic, um, and it continues to support the disaster of the Green Energy Act. The Liberal plan is just boring into the future. Um, and so what I really want to see happen um, is, is look at the structural cost in hydro. I want to, if, if this global adjustment is, is a huge issue, and it is because it, it affects everyone's bill, um, then we have to look at the surplus generation uh, and, uh, and look at, not only look at these bad deals, but make sure that there's no further uh, deals being signed. Here's the problem with, with what you're saying. Philosophically, it sounds wonderful. But, but the practicality of this, Patrick, and we've heard this before with campaign promises that were made, uh, you know, we were going to scrap the contract with the 407. That was what uh, Dalton McGinney promised at one time, and that hasn't happened. Uh, we were going to go over and do this. We we're going to change this over. Uh, once you're dealing with contracts, you know as well as I do that can 
be problematic. You can't just rip them up, as some politicians like to promise. There are usually penalties involved in this, and it could end up costing us a whole lot yeah. more. Have you looked into it, that? I mean, did you yeah, consider that, that is, as, as a possibility? Yeah, that is definitely a fair comment. It's the, the reason that we're doing, you know, we're being very detailed in assessing um, all the damage that's out there. Of the 30 mega contracts, we only have one copy uh, of one contract. We're missing the 29 others, and the government won't disclose them. Um, and, and they do that, so, you know, it's more difficult to unravel um, what they put together. On the 30 big, big mega renewable contracts, the one copy we had had an exit clause for a billion and a half. If there are similar exit clauses in the other contracts, you know, if, if we can get out of billions of dollars in surplus, that in itself would, would, would save a lot of money. The other thing I'd say is, aside from these bad contracts, um, the ones coming forward, legally, if the notice to proceed has not gone out, on the construction, because there's going to be this massive new construction under LRT1 over the next five years. If this notice to proceed hasn't gone out, um, then you can cancel it with minimal cost. But what I what I can't what I can't allow to continue is the fact we've given away six billion dollars in surplus electricity to our competitors and we charge Ontario Sport. I can't continue that to I, we, we can't allow that to continue and and that's why um, we have to really push back against this. Well, it's bad enough that we're giving the stuff away, but we're doing it for pennies on the dollar, and I think that's what really yes. rubs salt and, in the wound and, here. In some cases, we even pay them to take it. And and I, I also say and. Um, it doesn't smell right here. I understand why Wynn's not looking at these bad contracts. The 30 mega contracts for surplus energy uh, in renewables that we don't need, those 30 companies donated $1.3 million to the Ontario Liberal Party, according to Elections Ontario. I know why Wynn doesn't want to look at those contracts. They're her friends, they're her supporters. But I don't understand why in a minority parliament and why even today the NDP continues to support the Green Energy Act. They should, they should walk away from this disaster. They propped it up during the minority parliament, and that's why I say you know, the Liberals and NDP, they own this mess that we're in right here. When, when you're looking at, at a proposal, by the way, it's a rather pathetic situation when we're talking about a $1.5 million penalty clause as, as, a, as a, a better financial plan, but that's the conundrum in which we find ourselves right now. Uh, in the short term, Patrick, what's, what's the strategy? Do you look for the, the, the government to at least declare a moratorium on some of these contracts? So the contracts they're proceeding with today, uh, I have asked the Premier not to proceed with. Um, it, 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 it's so frustrating. We're paying for old bad contracts, and they're doing the same thing today. You know, <laughs> the fact that this is all happening in the same week um, is, is, is so disingenuous. And so, yes, at the, at the very least, I want her to cancel Fit 5. I want her to stop proceeding with LRP1. Um, all this new generation she's putting on the grid that we don't need um, has to be stopped immediately. And, and just so you understand why this is not about green energy, this is about bad deals that the Liberals benefited from, water power. Water power is green. We're spilling water power every day. You can't turn off green energy. You can't, it's too expensive to turn off nuclear energy. So what we do is our own water power in Ontario. We've mothballed hydroelectric dams up north. We don't run Niagara Falls to full capacity. We're spilling water every day because of these expensive foreign deals that Kathleen Wynne has signed. So where do you go f f from today? I mean, obviously the government's made the announcement. These these reductions that she's talked about, and it's really 17%, not 25 because 8% already been, that's already there. We get, we've got that already. But So th the numbers are the numbers, but do you foresee, when, when you do unroll, or roll out rather, your, your strategy on this, Patrick, do you do you see a number there about, about what Ontarians can look forward to as far as reductions, both short-term and long-term? 
I do. I, I, you know, the the liberals have increased our hydro bills 400 uh, percent since they took office. A 17 percent increase decrease is nice, but it doesn't go far enough. Uh, so yeah, I'm I, I'm I'm looking at a pretty serious uh, um, relief, uh, and uh, um, we are we are going over the details of that plan to make sure that it. Uh, um, Everything adds up uh, legally, and we're able to to do this. But uh, 17% is uh, um, when they raise our bills, 400% uh, is not enough. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show weekdays from nine to noon on AM 900 CHML. And that's what to do with First Ontario Centre. And uh, there is a report, of course, that was commissioned, and we're told that the report's completed. Uh, it's not going to be presented to council until April. Now we're told. But uh, councillors are complaining about the fact that a number of uh, details about the report, I guess they're details, I can't really confirm it yet, uh, have been leaked to the media before councillors even saw the report. And uh, you heard the remarks of some of the councillors about that over the last couple of days here on the Bill Kelly Show. So what we wanted to do was reach out to the uh, gentleman who is responsible for gathering everybody together to get this report in the first place. And that is a Hamilton lawyer and consultant, Jasper Kajafsky, who joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to try to shed some light on this uh, this particular problem and this concern. Jasper, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us today. Thanks a lot, Bill. It's nice to be with you too. Well, let, let me ask you first of all. Uh, you heard the comments, uh, heard of the comments, I guess more yes. appropriately, of some of the counselors uh, that uh, the, that this is being leaked and that they're very concerned about some of the details. Uh, how do you respond right. to that? Well. Without question, I mean, I can completely understand the position of the councillors in, in the sense that this report, you know, came about, it was commissioned last year, there's been a lot of work done on it. Uh, it's essentially been completed for a while, but there was a number of things that had to be taken care of in terms of, you know, staff preparation, get ready for the rollout, recognizing that the report itself leads to as many questions as it answers in the sense of it's not just about what does it say, it's about what next steps would be. So because of all of that, you know, time overlap, um, I can understand why counselors are saying, why am I hearing about this or reading about it when, you know, I haven't seen the report myself. In terms of council protocols and the way internal movement of material goes, you know, obviously that's not something I deal with. That's a staff issue in terms of the, the operation of council. But I can tell you that the specific, most of the specifics and, you know, the real drill down points that are in the report have certainly not gone public. Some points I've, I've, I've read and I think maybe the costing issue, I'm a little surprised. As I said, I made very clear that I have never provided any of the specifics of the report to anybody and made very clear even in my answers to, uh, to Andrew Dreschel in the column that he wrote that I would answer counsel's questions when I was in front of them. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't discuss the specifics. So, uh, you know, in terms of did some of it get out, perhaps I'm not really sure. It's not that specific, though. And, you know, but at the same time, from the perspective of the elected representatives, I have no qualm at all about acknowledging their point in terms of saying that they want to be the first one to see this. Uh, and, and I understand, Jasper, you've been involved in municipal politics and in and around it for a long time right now. And, and city councillors complaining about leaks of confidential documents as they have the kettle calling the pot black. I get that. but Well, I'm, but, I'm but, certainly not saying that. Well, I, mean, I am. I am. So don't worry about it. I'll take I'll take full responsibility for saying that. But the reality is, is there's a concern here because there's some pretty big numbers being floated around and they're simply wondering where the leak's coming from from right i talked about in terms of my past um it was certainly public for example that the report was commissioned it was public how much money was raised privately pay for it it was very public as to what my retainer was with the city in terms of my consulting yep. agreement mm-hmm. it was public 
and it has been pretty much understood from the beginning that the report would look at options for a potential transformation of First Ontario Centre. It was public that there would be some consideration of a sports, entertainment, hospitality and convention infrastructure requirement need for the city of Hamilton. So I don't think any of those things have been, have been you know, confidential. And once the report is seen, I can tell you that virtually all of it is open information. It's not, it's not confidential in the sense that there's any great secret here. Well, there's no, there's no negotiation going on, is, is what you're saying. I mean, in other words, this is, this is not a business deal that's being discussed. These are possibilities that are being discussed. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. The, the next steps discussion will get into how you move forward with the different recommendations and determining which, if any, you want to accept. So there's going to be a lot to talk about on April the 5th with regards to now what do you do with this information. But one thing people should be absolutely clear about is that nobody's coming to council on April 5th. Now, the staff speak for themselves, but they seem to have indicated in the answers they gave to the, to the column that Andrew wrote that they're not coming to council saying we recommend option one or option two with numbers that, without getting into specifics, are clearly in the millions of dollars. I don't think that's a secret to anybody. So that's not what's happening on April 5th. What's going to be happening is a series of recommendations. Staff will have their views. I will have specific recommendations, which I won't talk about publicly and said in the column that I wouldn't until I'm in front of council and I give them that information. And and that'll be the next step of discussion about what do you do with all of these all of this information and all of these points. Is part of the motivation for this uh, uh, to pursue the NHL once again? I mean, is is that the foundation for this? Because and there's a phrase just to put this in context, Jasper, uh, yeah. in the report, or at least we assume it is, because it was put in quotation marks in the paper, in the, the article I saw in the Spectator about this. They said to bring this up to I think the phrase they used was Major League Arena. What Major League are they referring to? The, the issue number one, Bill, is not about the National Hockey League. If and that's a separate subject. If one wants to bring those three letters into a conversation. It would require far more time than we would have today, and it deserves its own conversation, not in terms so much of a forward-looking issue as a retrospective understanding of what really happened. But you know, again, historically, I mean, let's face it, the building we're talking about here, Jasper, the attitude of the council of that day was build it and they will come. Are, are we still... Not what this is, no. What this is about, this entire project from day one, Bill, was about dealing with the an economic development opportunity for the city of Hamilton and dealing with the city's sports, entertainment, convention, and hospitality infrastructure requirements and having major league facilities and major league amenities for a major league city, which I believe Hamilton is. And that's what this project is about. If you can move towards having first-class facilities that could ultimately, if you build it out to the, to the end point, accommodate the National Hockey League, or any other major league sports and entertainment amenity, that's great if you can get to that point. What this report ultimately does is demonstrate how you can bring a building up to what was the modern-day major league standard. It does not fit. This is, and we're doing it because we're pursuing any particular asset or any particular tenant. That is not what this project is about. It's about an economic development opportunity for the city of Hamilton. What it can ultimately accommodate is something to be discussed on its own merits. 
a number of people uh, ponied up to put uh, put this report together. Some high-profile people. I'm sure many of our listeners know some of them anyway, uh, or at least know the names of some of these companies as well. Uh, yeah. When you had those conversations, Jasper, and you got them on side to, to commission this report and to actually uh, hire the consultants to do this report, uh, what what was the sell line? Was it, was it, hey, we want to build this up for something special, or we just need to fix this arena? I mean, how did how did you bring them into the into the tent? Well, the exact same thing we just talked about: an economic development opportunity for an urban core that needs to be gentrified, that needs to be revitalized, but has the potential to be one of the great Canadian cities in terms of what it offers in the sports, entertainment, hospitality, and convention infrastructure uh, world. And all of the people that that participated in this did so on a no-strings-attached basis from the perspective that they were promised nothing, there's no private deal, there are no rights of refusal on anything. The city has made very clear, I made very clear, in all the documentation that was signed, my agreement with the architects, my agreement with the city, the memorandum of understanding between the consortium partners, all of that makes very, very clear that nobody is getting anything in return for this. But having said that, what they're, they're seeding a project for a future of, of, for the city, but at the same time, this is not philanthropy. You know, if you want to talk philanthropy, I mean, you have the United Way, the Bob Kemp Hospice, there are a number of other wonderful charities and organizations you can give charitable money to. This is not a charitable project. The people that put the money in, in my view, are looking down the road and saying, look, if something is built out of this and the people that were in at the front end are well positioned at the back end to be part of something that ultimately gets built, that's great. But even say they're not, say you're in the hotel business and you see this project and at the end of the day, the amenities that are built, you don't have a direct involvement in, but because they're built, they give rise to new hotels. And had you next had you place, maybe nothing would have been built which would have given you the economic opportunity to build that new hotel. It makes sense to participate. So they're not promised anything, but they see the interest down the road. And I believe that that is the main explanation as to why they, they got involved. Plus, they're all good corporate citizens and individuals. Well, sure. And I mean, you go down the list of some of these people, uh, Fengate and uh, Leona and, and, and sure. David Braley and others, of course. I mean, these are people that are already, they've already invested heavily in the city already. I, we get that. So, the, I mean, the pedigree is, is, is well, without question. We, we understand that. But the concern some people have now I'm sorry, is... I'm not to interrupt. I thought you mentioned David Braley, very good man, Ron Joyce. Ron Joyce, I'm sorry, yeah. Uh, and so that's not in question, but the concern that some people had, of course, is is whether or not there was some sort of commitment that, hey, you have first right of refusal in any no. future proposition or anything else, and you're telling us that's not the case. That's absolutely not the case. They have come into the project on essentially seeding the study, and, and, and certainly I think they, they should be well positioned that if things come down the road and they want to be involved, they're going to be able to say, hey, I was in at the, at the front end of this thing, you know, seeding the very study that ultimately gave birth to the dynamics and the public-private partnership that are now going to to, to get these the great new things built. So if, if I'm in their position, I'm certainly going to be pointing that out down the road. But that's from a negotiating position. That's from a positioning position. It's not from a first right of refusal position because there have been no such commitments made. That was very deliberately laid out when I first went to the city with the first 100,000 raised uh, that that set this thing off. 
let's let's talk a little bit. I know you don't want to get too much into the detail until you've actually yeah. talked to counsel and they've had a chance to finally look at this thing as well. But but the speculation, Jasper, because it, it, it's out there now, is that essentially there are two major choices here. One being to fix this whole arena up and to make it a seventeen thousand seat uh, gold standard arena. The other is to reduce it significantly in size, not unlike what yeah. they did with Maple Leaf Gardens. Uh, okay, and and the other and the third option, I guess, obviously, is to do nothing. I mean, that's that's always out there as, as an option. Right. Uh, but I want to be. You're talking sorry, about significant ahead. dollars. I mentioned. I know you mentioned millions. We're probably talking hundreds of millions of dollars. Does this report delve into how that money is going to be attained if, in fact, council wants to move forward on this? First of all, there's two parts to your question that I want to address, and I want to be very careful not to again be sort of crossing a line into talking about specifics before we're in front of council. But I think it is important to at least clear up something which I've heard and, and you've now mentioned. Yeah, go ahead. Reference Maple Leaf Gardens. And again, I'm, I'm being very careful here not to get into specifics before we're, we're doing it in the appropriate forum. But option one and option two, are the way you've described it makes them seem exclusive of each other. In other words, we either do a full 17,000, 18,000 seat build out or we reduce the size of it like in Maple Leaf Gardens. That is not what's being proposed. The two lead to each other. Option one essentially is a lower bowl renovation. And, I mean, it's not quite as simple as lower bowl, upper bowl, but I don't want to get into all the structural and mechanical and electrical components of the study. But option one can still lead to option two. They're, 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 they're in sync with each other. So... The concept that you're simply removing the upper deck or you're raising the ice level is not what's proposed. Maple Leaf Gardens was a much different project than anything at what is now First Ontario Centre. When Cops Coliseum was built, it's not a, 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 a building that is on um, uh, where the ice level is at street level, essentially a box where the entire footprint of the building is the extent of the of the exterior facades, the walls of the building. The Coliseum is is a dugout bowl. It's built much more like a modern arena is built, but not with all the amenities that you now have. And it doesn't have the multi-levels that the current buildings have. It operates basically off one concourse and the event level beer gardens area. But because of the way the building is constructed, it has the potential to have all of that space added in. So, and it also has, it's only 64, it's 64 feet to low steel. The gardens has a great domed roof. So what happened at the gardens was they completely gutted the interior of the building and then came inside with a brand new structure, which had multi-levels and an arena on the top floor. And you went down from 16,000 to a 2,700 seat arena. A 2,700 or 3,000 seat hockey rink, which is more like a community hockey rink in the heart of downtown Hamilton, in my view, makes no sense. No, I agree totally. And so the concept of option one or option two is a bit misleading. Option one can still result in option two. It's a staged process. And so I think it's important that people understand that we're not recommending, again, I want to be very careful that I'm not crossing lines, but I think it's also important that there not be misconceptions out there and the idea of recommending maple leaf gardens for what was cops coliseum first ontario center is not what this report 
court is doing. No, and, and I'm, we're only talking in generalities here. And I know that some counselors talked, talked about this, as a matter of fact, before your report was even finished, as, as a possibility. So it's it's out there. And we'll see when the report actually happens. Sure. i got about a minute and a half left here, Jasper, and there's okay. so much more I want to talk about. But but let me, let me ask you about the finances. We know right now that Cops Coliseum, for instance, was built with some federal money. Uh, federal governments yeah. don't build arenas anymore. They don't give you the money no, for them. Uh, neither does the provincial government right now. Yeah. So there's going to have to be some creative ways to raise uh, what could pr- probably be hundreds of millions of dollars to do this. Is that addressed in the report? Do you talk about that at all without getting into specific numbers? That will be, without getting into specifics, the report is more about what you can do with the building and what we're going to be talking about on April the 5th is how you do it. And let me be very clear, and I, and I completely agree with what you're saying. I think you're, you're raising the most important point. At the end of the day, it's going to have to be a very well-thought-out private-public partnership that ultimately makes these projects or any part of these projects come true. And it's going to have to be, in my opinion, done on the basis of private sector investment and public sector facilitation and coordination. The idea that a city or governments, as in the case of Quebec City, where the Videotron Center is 100% publicly funded by the province and the city, will not happen here. No. But at the same time, thinking that the private sector, completely on its own, without any facilitation or coordination by the public sector, is going to come in and take a city-owned building and just recraft it as a gift, is also not going to happen. The public sector has to lead the process. The private sector has to lead the financing. That's the model. And that's what we're going to drill down on in specifics in terms of how you get to that point on April the 5th in front of council. And I can assure you, I will be coming there with very specific recommendations about how I believe we can get there. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.